Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Matthew is already on the Zoom call and we are raring to go. Huh, Matthew? David, it's a Pippa Tootie Extravaganza. <laughs> or as we co- combine the names, we call it a Pootie Extravaganza. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You warned um, us last week. You said, as we were wrapping up last week, you said, beware and prepare ye, all listeners, all viewers. It is a Pippa-heavy episode. And yeah, we forgot. It's Pippa and Tootie. Oof. And it has so many of my favorite tropes in it. I just can't hardly begin. Uh, anyway, so well, I, I apologize in advance. I'm going to try to be upbeat. It just hurts me when I go to press play on the DVDs and I see five shows left. Mm. And this is taking up one of them. I was thinking that too. (laughs) I'm like, okay, if they were in serious backdoor pilot mode, why weren't there more backdoor pilots? This one and, and next week's. I did take a peek ahead. Next week on The Edge. That one, too, is kind of like, oh, wow. Okay, maybe they didn't think they were going away permanently. I uh, Very or like the Golden Girls, maybe it was the last season and they just didn't care. Uh, perhaps. Maybe by now they, they <laughs> didn't. Yeah, they, they knew and they didn't care. You're Try watching right. the last season of Designing Women and tell me that they get shit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And that that's so echoed charlie's angels where it's like okay cast changes cast changes and then the final season is oh that other cast change we did last season bad idea no we're we're changing it again and it's still still the same show though haha <laughs> just still the same la ha ha you're laughing at it and it's like judith ivy bj Pote, where the fuck did you come from hmm. i was just getting used to stephanie from newhart <laughs> So we're talking, of course, about season nine, episode 20, Present Imperfect, which had an original air date of March the 5th of 1988. Initially, Matthew, in my brain, this was the Pippa has a party episode. So I was like, what the fuck does this title mean? What in the God? And then I went, oh, oh, present, as in the, the thing, the gift that the grandmother gives Tootie. That's a present. Because I'm like, you know, present imperfect, that's a a verb tense conjugation that you don't learn in English class and they force you to have to learn if you study a foreign language, because that's the only time you ever need to know it. Well, and what if you just read it as present imperfect? Present imperfect. Um, The David Almeida story. Uh, That would be the (laughs) name of my memoir, maybe. Well, this episode had a lot of guest stars, a lot of guests. We'll get to them as we go through. Um, Typically, I've been starting to cover that in the facts facts. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, I I don't think there's really any facts facts this week because we got to jump into these nuts and bolts, buddy. I would love to jump. 
into some nuts and bolts. This episode was written by Kathy. I'm assuming it's pronounced Letty, L-E-T-T-E. Kathy Lett or Kathy Letty. Uh, she is an Australian-British author whose works have been bestsellers. Like, she has a lot of novels. And the thing that brought her some notoriety and attention was a novel called Puberty Blues. I'm out. <laughs> In 1979, that would later become an actual series in 2012 that she would write for. Uh, this is her only written by credit, but she has been a program consultant for the show for this entire season. Was that a show in Australia? Uh, puberty blues? Oh, just... uh, uh, that's right. I forgot you hate the word puberty. Uh, puberty, yeah. Oh, can you imagine? Imagine announcing, oh, from the star of Puberty Blues. Uh, I would be like, we need to rethink this title for a TV show. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) And the episode was directed by John Boab. Well, Matthew, this is now the time when it is your turn to give us the one to two sentence TV guide synopsis of the entire episode. In this episode of The Facts of Life, Natalie, Blair, and Joe go to a Moroccan restaurant. Bravo. Hashtag truth. And racism is always hilarious. Never not funny. In Uh, 1988. Cringy. Cringy. (sighs) She might as well have said these savages. No. People from Morocco, (laughs) these savages. (laughs) Oh my God, Blair. Yeah, it's it's special. Wow. She she should have been the one that was like anyway, anyway, so I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. Yeah, no, let's let's do it. No, no, get get me some let's, head here because well, the player thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, but yeah, you're right. Blair should be the I'm the international traveler. I'm the before it's like would Blair want to eat at a restaurant where there's a belly dancer? It should be, uh, yeah, it reminds her of the summer that she spent in Morocco and shopped in Marrakesh and then hopped a little commuter plane over to Paris and London. I mean, Blair should be the most open-minded of all of them when it comes to this shit. It should be Joe going, you know, what's a couscous, you know, something like that. But we were getting past the fact that for some reason, the, the Natalie, the investigative journalist, it's now a restaurant reviewer. Well, like you do. Still, I assume, working for the Peekskill Register, this newspaper. Or the that... Peekskill Press, one of the many the... Yep, publications exactly. that comes out of Peekskill. Yeah, I forget whichever the most recent one is. <laughs> and <laughs> isn't it kind of funny? I don't care, and I'm not looking it up. <laughs> yeah. I'm, prou- I'm proud of you. We're making progress. Yeah. Um, but no, they're going to go on a date. They're going to go so Natalie can review this Moroccan restaurant. Blair says, um, I don't I don't trust anybody that eats with their thumbs. Okay. Wow. <laughs> These savage Moroccans. Yeah. Oh, wow. God. Mm-hmm. And then while we continue with this, this being, of course, the B story. Technically, it's the C story because there's two other things happening yeah. here. So this uh, this C story is that at the end of it, when Natalie has the article, Blair and Joe were like, well, we want to read it. What did you say? Because did you mention us? Did you talk about it? It's like, uh, well, if she were a competent restaurant critic, 
No, she would not mention you or talk about the people she was with. She might say, I ordered this and it tasted this way. Someone else at my table ordered that. But whatever, we're in a sitcom. It's a 1980s sitcom. It's fucking whimsical. I can cope <laughs> with that. But what it comes down to is when they read the article before she's about to go turn it in and she has to go drive there to hand it in. Remember that, Matthew? Oh, yeah. Send it over on your dinosaur. And <laughs> by by pterodactyl. Uh, but she talks about the two people she was with, whom she affectionately calls Little Miss Prissy and Joe Nan the Barbarian. Come on, that's good. Joe Nan the Barbarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It is a little funny, but I, I, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to encourage this episode. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so they're mad. It's like, what do you mean calling us this? What do you mean? And they chase her out and that's their way to get them. Basically, this is the reason to get them out of the show because everything else in the show really centers around Tootie, Pippa, and Andy to a slightly lesser extent. And Beverly Ann, once again, Beverly Ann is just there, just passing through. Why are you here? Yeah, eating your cereal. Eating her cereal, which, wow, they <laughs> never let us see the front of that box of cereal, did they? The, I have a note. They're working very hard to hide the front of that cereal box, <laughs> including moving positions of it between shots. Uh, after that Star Trek debacle that happened a few weeks ago, I think heads rolled. I think people were fired. I think after that rape nuts incident... <laughs> They fired somebody uh, who then the next person came in and said, I'm just going to cover up the R and make it ape nuts. And hurry, I just got here 10 minutes ago and we're about to go to tape. <laughs> oh, they didn't want Cloris Leach in this way. Like, I'm not sitting at a table with a box that says ape nuts on it. <laughs> but then again, I think maybe Cloris Leachman would have been like, I'm absolutely sitting at a table with ape nuts on it. Yeah. She would have said, I need this positioned and in the shot so people can see it. Yeah. I mean, that's that you, you or I would have done that. That's comedy goal right there. So that's the uh, C plot. And then the A and B plot, which are somewhat interdependent. The A plot is Jeff, Tootie's fiance, his grandmother has sent along a family heirloom as an engagement gift for Tootie. And TV trope number one, Matthew, it is big and it is ugly. Yeah. And she feels compelled to accept the gift, to wear it and to show it off and pretend like she likes it and that it's important to her. <sighs> okay. Okay. And, and then the added trope on the trope, when we do meet the grandmother, like third sentence out of her mouth. Where is the pendant I sent you? I sent you along a present and you don't have the common decency to wear it? Yeah. It's like, uh, re really? It's the pink bunny costume from A Christmas Story. Yeah. You'll only wear it when Aunt Claire visits. Yeah. Uh, okay. And Did you have a thing like that? Like I didn't, that wasn't a thing. It's, it's very sitcom tropey. So if it's a trope, I don't think it's a real thing. So we, we have that going on, that trope going on. And then, of course, we add to that the trope that it turns up missing and then ends up damaged and irreplaceable. So now Tootie has to face 
meeting the grandmother with this valuable heirloom, which they had made. All they said is it's an heirloom. Yeah. I wish they could have given it more of a story yeah. or something that could have helped the script along a little bit. But um, yeah, so it's Tootie having to uh, gain good favor with Jeff's grandma with this major strike against her on the at the onset with with her losing this pendant and well i should say having the pendant destroyed under her watch and the pendant is destroyed first lost and then destroyed because pippa oh still trying to get in with the popular girls matthew still trying to join high society i wish my friends would accept me at that school where they all live and i don't because i fucking live here for no reason so yeah that's just i mean and, and again wanting to get in with a popular crowd i have to impress these kids i have to do special things that are not things i would normally do to make them like me again i didn't have that high school experience so no. I, I, I nothing i could do but nobody's gonna like me in high school <laughs> so yeah I, I i can't i don't i don't know if that's a trope as well but I know we've talked about it in like high school USA and like the popular kids and g- guys who snap their fingers and all their friends follow them. And like this bitch that's like, you've ruined my reputation. Re- what? Really? You, you, okay. You came to a party. Yeah. And it wasn't a good, you've, uh, your reputation is that, just yeah. take a seat, Alexis. We're worried about Pippa's reputation here. Like, yeah. why wouldn't she say you've ruined your reputation? Like, uh, yeah, you're yeah. never going to be a part of our group. Yeah. At which point people could have said, good, you're all fucking dick bags. Yeah. Or given a 45 minute Australian speech. Like oh, she does oh. two, two minutes in and we have our first punchable Pippa moment. OK, hit me with it because we no, start. I didn't I didn't write it down. I'm sure you've got the script pulled. Up, I did. Don't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Because we do start in uh, Matthew. I'm glad you're sitting down. Our first scene begins in the living room. Yeah. And uh, Joe is reading the paper, the newspaper, the funny pages. So I, I don't know what day of the week it is, but uh, Blair and Pippa have been shopping. And uh, we do drop that Pippa was trying, after the failure of her rock band, she was supposed to be in one of the bands at Eastland. And they say, well, what happened? Why? I thought you were doing the band at school. And Pippa drops some information that's kind of important. This is where she says, there is no band anymore. They cut it from the program because Eastland is strapped for cash. There have been a lot of cutbacks. A little dabble, do you? Just that little dab right there. Okay, we got to give credit. Let's give them credit. A show Bible good moment, but we don't know that it's a show Bible good moment yet. But yes, that little dropping that in, because that's what's going to lead to what they thought was going to be the next uh, sequel series to this. But uh, yeah, so the Australian BS, your punchable Pippa moment is Uh, when Joe says, you hang out with cool kids, you hang out with me and me. And Pippa says, you blokes are great, but the kids at Eastland reckon that I'm like so megazoidy because I don't bonk my poof or jam on rad trendoid sounds. Your lips stopped moving, so I unmuted. No. <laughs> so I didn't have to hear that. 
I didn't even try to translate that. I am 99.9% sure that does not translate into anything. Well, it was written by this Australian writer, so. Oh, fuck, you're right. Jesus, read your own notes, David. Yeah, it was an Australian writer. Maybe she does. Maybe this is right. This is you know, this is probably the most authentic Australian we've had. But I wonder if it's the type of thing that a teenager in the 80s in Australia would have seen and been like, oh, God. You yeah. know, like, like, you know, like my mom used to say, nobody walked around and said groovy in the no. in the 60s. She goes, it was a TV thing. And when you see it on the Brady Bunch, you're like, oh, God. Yeah. So I wonder if that I wonder if that hit the Australian kids like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, Kathy, take a seat. Your puberty book was nine years ago. Come on. <laughs> you are so out of touch. Oh, a, a, a puberty book in 79. Oh, <laughs> God, there's probably a whole chapter about Bush. <laughs> How to harvest and maintain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh. So Ding Dong is a flower delivery guy. And he says, delivery for Joe Palnicek, sex goddess. Okay. So Joe has been, Joe's hit it, I guess. Now we've had two ladies in the house that are whores. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know they ran immediately from their wedding to go fuck in the closet at the church or something. Uh, Well, who hasn't? (laughs) With the groom, yeah. Uh, So... Uh, but yeah, here's an interesting thing. Later, Joe does say to somebody, hey, I'm a married woman. And in this, doesn't she even say this is my, it's my husband. He's he's a practical joker kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, this episode was recorded before Till Marriage Do Us Part, Matthew. Oh, so they knew. So they knew this was this was taped out of order, knowing it was going to be broadcast out of order. Isn't that interesting? That is that's very curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. So why. this guy who's the delivery man, his name is Mike Finneran. He was on three episodes of Hill Street Blues between 1982 and 1984 in three different roles, which you know I fucking <laughs> love. Hell yeah. But he is probably best recognized, Matthew, for 37 episodes of Night Court between 1984 and 1992 as Art Fensterman, the bumbling maintenance worker at the Manhattan Criminal Court Building. It just, as soon as you said that, I was like, he he was like the maintenance guy or something. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, good for him. And 37 episodes appeared in every single season. Somewhere, somehow. So he was a staple, a regular of that show. And uh, sad to say, that's a show I did not watch. And I don't know why. I caught a couple of episodes and was like, yeah, this is a funny show. I just never, again, it, it hit right uh, right as I was uh, hitting. Uh, honestly, it started in 84. 84 is the first musical I did with Drama Club. Yeah. And 1992, that was when I was out of college and adulting at that point. So uh, Night Court literally came along at the most non-TV viewing time of my youth. But uh, interestingly, Mike Finneran only has 19 credits between 1980 and 1995. And I didn't do a lot of research to find out what happened to him. I don't believe he has left this earth. Uh, he must be back at the theater or he might be retired. Who knows? Mike Finneran, if you're listening... Uh, let us know you're okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Give us a call. 
so when Joe says my husband is a practical joker about the sex goddess thing, his response is, hey, you know, if you did fix up your hair and wore some different clothes, you wouldn't be half bad. Hilarious. I mean, it's like it's kind of like that's not what I meant, you asswipe, and you're not getting a tip. <laughs> that's awesome. Yep. I would have put the button on it that Blair tipped him. She was standing behind her, like as as he says that, like as she slams the door, Blair pulls out a ten, like money and hands it to him. There you go, comedy gold going in the time machine. Uh, so then Jeff shows up for Tootie. This is where the gift is revealed. It's from Grandmother Rogers in Buffalo. So she's up up that way in yes. different part of the state. And Tootie does mention, oh, your Grandma Rogers. He's like, that, that, that. Don't call her grandma. Call mm-hmm. her grandmother. Last person that called her grandmother got a foot up in their ass. I'm paraphrasing. But mm-hmm. it's already we're setting up, ooh, this grandmother's a real ball buster, a real, yeah. you know, that that strong matriarch who rules the family with an iron fist. And, yeah. Cicely yeah. Tyson's going to walk in. <laughs> that would have been great casting, actually, if it had been. Jesus. <laughs> Not that I have any problem with uh, with who we have here. We'll get to her. But um, oh, one nice funny thing, one nice joke. It's an engagement gift. It's a family heirloom. And Natalie says, what family? The Munsters? Ha ha! And then I thought to myself, David, was that a timely reference? Because if you remember... Oh, they were revived! The Munsters Today, starring Lee Merriweather. But that didn't happen until late next season, October of 88, Monsters Today. Happened, oh. Starring well, the wonderful What's This Pussy from Gimme a Break as Grandpa. That old queen that played the deputy. John, John Hoyt? Oh, 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 the deputy? Howard Morton. Howard, of course, the wonderful. Yes. That old queen. <laughs> But yeah, but the Munsters, they were in perpetual reruns all through the 70s and all through the 80s when I was growing up. So absolutely, that was a timely, you know, young people, people my age, we knew who the Munsters were. We grew up with them. Uh, There's a couple little bits and pieces cut from syndication. Uh, Blair says, I had something like this once. We used to, we used it to anchor our yacht. (laughs) But not in Morocco. But not in Morocco with those savage other kind of people, if you know what I'm talking about. Fortunately, Jeff agrees that it's ugly. Tootie's initial reaction is, this is gross, but can I say it's gross? And thankfully, Jeff and Tootie are on the same page. She ends up calling the grandmother to thank her, and Jeff says, stay on her good side. And then while she's on the phone, Tootie says, I wish you could see it on me. You you can? You can come and visit us here this weekend? Uh, second only to sitcom lying is my problem that I have with people who can't do a phone conversation. Yes. And That's so true. Kim mm-hmm. Fields? I love Kim Fields. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish you could see it on me. You can? This weekend? <laughs> Then we go into the kitchen. Now we've got Andy and Pippa and more stuff about fitting in 
And Pippa needs to get in with this girl, Alexis, and the other cool kids. So uh, Andy says, well, we got a horny Andy moment. You've got two choices here. One of those choices can lead to unwanted children. So you really should do the other, which is throw a big party. So, so the implication was, well, you need to fuck a lot of dudes if you want to be popular, but that's not the option we're going to pick right now. Not, not yeah. yet anyway. Yeah. So, uh, wow. Okay. So conveniently this Saturday night, they can throw a big party because that's when they know Natalie is taking Blair and Joe to this savage Moroccan restaurant. Right. And we know that Beverly Ann is... Where is Beverly Ann supposed to be? Beverly Ann was just meeting a friend in New York. Was she? Yeah. <laughs> just like Mrs. Garrett, you're going alone, aren't you? You don't have any friends. Come on. Andy says it, and is he's got a list of, like, apparently where the girls are at all times, a little notebook. I guess it was a calendar. I wondered about that, too. I assume it was like a little cal a household calendar, which is kind of cute that we did used to have to keep those on paper. <laughs> paper so i mean cute. We, we had phones david <laughs> but but no to know your schedule to be like oh well i know blair's gonna be oh. out of the house pippa's gonna be rehearsing with her fucking rock band so that's on the schedule for thursday so i'm gonna clear out that type of thing yeah it might have been like a dry erase board on the wall not a little book but you know so the plans are set and then we go to the next scene immediately back in the living room andy is coming in with two big bags of groceries mm-hmm and uh, he and Pippa have a little exchange. He's got to quickly sneak and get them in the kitchen before the others see them. And cut from syndication is we actually see Beverly Ann leaving to go to her plans and Natalie and Blair and Joe leaving to go to where they're going. In the daily motion version, we don't get that. We just get Tootie coming down and Jeff wow. arriving to pick her up. Well, dear but listeners, then you got to miss out on Pippa saying goodbye in Australian 15 times. Every time she tried to open the door and get Cloris Leachman out, it was, Uru! Uru! Okay. So you yeah. missed out on that punchable Pippa moment. <laughs> so, yeah. And by the way, Beverly Ann came out of her own bedroom and down the stairs. God. The girls came out of their bedroom at the top landing. Everybody arrived from the place where they were supposed to. None of this, oh, just use that that middle landing bullshit. So clearly John Boab showed up that week and decided to actually do something as a director. But uh, yeah. So Jeff arrives thinking that he was going to be arriving with grandma. And Jeff says, no, uh, there was snow or something. Yeah, there was a snowstorm in Buffalo. So grandma's not going to be able to make it till tomorrow. So they go out and they go out and do their plans. That's great. So they're like, okay, bye Pippa, bye Andy. They close the door and Pippa immediately walks over and starts blasting music on the stereo. It's like, yeah. you, you didn't want to wait till they got into their car, let alone left the driveway. Could have been an adorably choreographed bit where they close the door, peek out the window, they're in their cars. Then they go over to another window, they're pulling out. Then they go over to another window and they're gone. Like that could have been a cute, adorable little bit for them to have. 
when yeah. they watch them pull away to make sure that they're away. But yeah, I mean, we yeah. only have 23 minutes, so crank it up, Pippa. <laughs> and Pippa and Andy are good together. They really are. They, that I didn't mind. No, they're lovely together. She's lovely. <laughs> she just shouldn't be on the show. Agreed. So. So the next scene is uh, the party's about to start. She comes down in a party dress. And, and again, she comes down from Beverly Ann's room. What the fuck is she doing up there? Her bedroom is off where over our heads used to be. But whatever. And her 1980s party dress. Oh, my God. She answers the door and the two girls come in. The first girl is Cindy Dietrich playing the role of Karen. She has only 11 credits in an only five-year career. So she got out of the biz very early. And then the second girl who comes in is the real queen bee of the popular kids. Her name is Devin Odessa, playing the role of Alexis. She would go on to be a regular on the series My So-Called Life with Claire Danes yeah. from 94 to 95, with many, many guest appearances, still working today. Alexis immediately establishes herself as a fucking bitch. Immediately looks at Pippa's dress as, is that what you're wearing? Aren't you going to change? And then it's like, well, you need something. At which point Pippa remembers the pendant, Tootie's pendant is in the desk drawer. So she puts it on and they're Let like- Let me find the one thing in the house that everybody agreed was the most hideous thing they've ever seen in their life. This'll do it. Yep. And you know, those kids today- they said it's gross, so I love it because kids are like the opposite sometimes. Yeah. I really ridiculous. Really. Anyhow, uh Andy is actually getting along with this girl, Karen. The music is very loud, and then we kind of go to this mob scene where there's too many people in the house. People are trying to drink in the kitchen and Pippa's freaking out that the party's kind of gotten out of control here. This dude in the kitchen, his name is Mark, and he's over at the blender and he says, we're trying to make pina coladas. And he is wearing the round sunglasses indoors. He's got the scarf around his neck, the yeah. sort of half mullety curly hair. I really wish he'd had like, like a Boy George hat on top of it. His, yeah. he, he doesn't follow the rules, this yeah. guy. He's bad news. He's a rebel and he'll never, ever be any good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he wears sunglasses indoors, this punk. Yeah, mm. that's just it. But I his look was so 80s. I mean, costuming-wise, brava, Diana, love it. The scarf, oh, love it. The actor's name is Nikki Cat. He has a huge list of credits, including 49 episodes of Boston Public between 2000 and 2002 as Harry Sennett. I have no idea who that is. But he has 74 credits in a 38-year career. And this is one of the earliest in that. So we continue with Pippa trying to stop the party. Cut from syndication is a brief exchange with this dude named Larry who is smoking and she tells him not to smoke. We don't have to really deal with that because we he's going to come back in a couple minutes and I'll talk about him there. Finally, Natalie and Joe and Blair come home and very okay. quickly they bust can up I, the party. Can I ask this, David? I don't want this to make me sound sad or like I missed out. But was this a TV trope? Did that were those were there parties like that? 
Yes, there were. Oh, I never went to any of those. Oh. I didn't either. My sister had one once. And I just got in so much trouble. Uh, I just it looks awful to me. Like I would have walked in there and been like, I'm out. Well, the thing is, it's like you're going to have a, you know, it's like our parents are out of the house. They're gone for the night. So we're going to have kids over. It's like, didn't you watch every other sitcom ever in the history of television where they threw a party without the parents knowing? The parents always find out and something always ends up missing or broken or injured. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. parties like this kind of did happen. And it was actually very realistic that a 15 year old kid thinking they can handle it and having it get out of control very quickly on them. I think this is actually uh, one of those few tropes that is close to real life. All right. But yeah. So Blair and Joe very quickly clear the party out, start throwing the kids out and get rid of them. And this is where that dude, Larry, the one that was smoking, uh, he says to Joe, why don't you knock off all that noise and I'll show you how to have some fun. He is 17 years old. And other than the fact that he is six foot, six inches tall, he looks like a child. (laughs) That's why it's funny. Yeah, I guess. And he's saying to Joe, hey, come over here. I'll give you some of this right here. And so Joe grabs him and throws him out, says, watch it, Buster. I'm a married woman. I would have given her a better line than that. Yeah. She's the adult. She's the grown up. She should have been like, like, you know, I can do things you can't even spell. You know yeah. what I mean? Something. There you go. Should have put him yeah. in his place somehow. Now I'm a married woman. Otherwise, this could have happened. I yeah. just, come on. <clears throat> yeah. No, not at all. Mars Callahan is the name of the actor playing this little p- bit part of Larry. He's credited as Gregory Mars Martin. So I guess everyone calls him Mars for some reason. I'm sure um, they do in all the improv circles in LA. I'm sure <laughs> they do. But six foot six, dude. That is fucking tall. Well, it turns out Mars Callahan is an accomplished pool player and he has some pool playing uh, accolades and prizes that he has won. And in 2002, he co-wrote and directed and starred in a film called Pool Hall Junkies, which starred Chaz Palminteri, Rod Steiger, Rick Schroeder and Christopher Walken, among others. And I had never heard of this movie. Somebody tell Chris Walken, it is okay to say no. (laughs) How you get Chris Walken in there next to Rick Schroeder, for Christ's sake. And my research on the film shows that the reviews were universally negative to bad. So that is why we never heard from him kind of ever again. That was sort of his his shot, and it it did not take, unfortunately. I take that back. He's not known... As Mars in all the L.A. improv circles. He's known as Mars in all the pool halls. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to play Mars tonight. Yep. Yep. Now I want to see a documentary about pool hall people. Oh, well, I'll bet you this movie is probably close to that. You know, a dramaticalized version. But (laughs) that's one we'll have to watch for TV Talkaholics. Mm hmm. So with the party ending and all the kids being kicked out, this is where Alexis illogically calls Pippa a dweeb and a twerp and says, you ruined my reputation. And Pippa's retort is, you ruined our house and it was good to start with. 
Oh, burn. <sighs> yeah. Previous to this, by the way, she went into the closet when she was like, I'll get your coats, everybody. You can leave now. She opens it up. Andy is in the closet making out with Karen. Yeah. It's like, you go, boy. All right. <laughs> and and Mackenzie Aston, just perfect. When she opens up and she catches them, he quickly is like, uh, oh, and look, this one is 100% wool. <laughs> <laughs> like he's showing her the coats. Uh, so then horrible. he he quickly leaves doesn't want to be a part of whatever when the girls come home and discover the party so he comes out wrapped in a blanket from the bedrooms from the proper place from the over our heads going oh wow pippa could you keep it down i'm trying to sleep and pippa's like suck a bag of dicks you're fully dressed under that and pulls the blanket and he is actually in his underwear but it's very obvious that he was in on this so both he and Pippa will be answerable when Beverly Ann comes home. But as they are just about to have Andy and Pippa do all the cleanup, Pippa looks down and realizes the chain around her neck is bare and holds it up. And before we go to commercial, we get, Crikey, the pendant is gone. Well, you snuck that one in on me. <sighs> so after commercial next morning, Pippa does tell Beverly Ann. And by the way, I love that Pippa calls her Bev. Do you? Which leads me to believe that anybody in that house could have called her Bev and saved all of those syllables over all of these episodes. I think Joe gets out of some Bevs every once in a while. Maybe. But I just put B-A, by the way, in my notes. I just mm. put I just put bah. So that. But uh, yeah, this is where we get the cereal. This is where Beverly Ann calmly pours a bowl of cereal and starts to eat it. And Pippa is like, why is she not madder at me? And Tootie and Natalie are like, oh, well, you know Beverly Ann, all the calm, all the evenness. And then at some point she's going to blow. Is she? Do we is, know that? Is is that a, a character trait, a personality component that we have ever been privy to with Beverly Ann. I've always known her to be emotional and fussy and more likely to fly off the handle immediately before gaining her composure and thinking yeah. sensibly about something. But what, who am I? I'm just watching the show. Yeah. I'm just a viewer. That's above my pay grade, clearly. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons why Beverly Ann is so calm is she says, no, I'm not going to punish you, Pippa, because <laughs> there won't be any of you left after Tootie gets done with you when she learns that you lost the pendant. Well, Tootie does show up. Tootie is mad. And then blah, blah, blah. Pippa apologizes. And then Tootie goes to turn on the blender. And the guys who were making the pina coladas before had been playing with the blender. So they dropped that little hint earlier. And we hear the sound of metal against metal. Inside the blender, the pendant was in there, and it is now officially ruined. Yeah. The next scene in the living room, Joe's trying to fix it. Not working. Blair tries to replace it. She doesn't have anything that looks close to it. Natalie went out to some jewelry stores to find something like it. It's too fugly. No one would have that in their inventory. Yeah. What were they thinking? So... 
Tootie just braces herself that the shit's going to hit the fan when the grandmother arrives. And arrive she does. The She's wonder- sweet and friendly right from the beginning. So, you know, I kind of want to get her on my side, you old bitch. I mean. Jesus God. Instantaneously. Again, sitcom trope. How many times in our lives have we met the families of people we know or are dating or the person someone is engaged to that we haven't met yet? And we walk away going, oh, they were really, really nice. Yeah. That was, oh, that was, oh, they're really, really nice. It's like, yeah, because TV has taught us to be wary of such first meetings because typically people are total fucking jerk faces. Yeah. And uh, and Grandmother Rogers is no exception to the trope. It's played by actress Bea Richards. No, it's played by actress B. Richards. It's, it's written B-E-A-H. I don't think it's pronounced Bea. I think it's just B. Richards. I think the H makes it Bea. Does it make it Bea Richards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, There's... why put the H? Well, yeah, you never know. Why do why do Lees go L E I G H and why do L E E? That's the feminine spelling. Anyway, Grandmother Rogers is played by a veteran actress, prolific poet, and playwright Bea Richards. She is sixty-seven years old here, and probably the highest profile role people would remember her and recognize her from is. In the 1967 film, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? She played Sidney Poitier's mother. Her film work also includes The Miracle Worker, In the Heat of the Night, Mahogany. She was briefly in Beloved, the Oprah Winfrey movie. And uh, she has so many credits, so much, and quite a career. Uh, On YouTube, there are videos of her reciting some of her poetry and uh, definitely an activist through her art, for sure. And uh, was it you that made a, a reference to Maya Angelou? Yeah. That yes. she is she is very much a, a, another Maya Angelou cut from that same cloth. She was nominated for a Tony Award for her 1965 performance in James Baldwin's The Amen Corner. She received a nomination for the Oscar Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Those are mentioned in her Wikipedia page. Wikipedia doesn't mention any of her TV credits. She's a two-time Emmy winner. One for Frank's Place, which ran from 87 to 88. One season, that's the Tim Reed show, Tim being uh, uh, on uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. And she won that Emmy... I think this same year, I think it was this same season that she is on The Facts of Life. And then uh, on The Practice, the David E. Kelly show in 2000, she did a guest spot and won an Emmy for that. And then died like two days later. Yeah. It's crazy. Remember The Practice? Mm -hmm. Dylan McDermott and Cameron Mannheim and Lara Flynn Boyle. That show was such a big fucking deal. And... And again, like Ali McBeal, it was a big deal at the time. And then it just, no one seems to remember. It's never really lived on or been showed much in reruns. Huh. Also, she was only seven years older than Sidney Poitier when she played his mother. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, that happens a lot. 
And uh, not only do we get that she is an old bitchy battle axe when she comes in the door, also racist. <laughs> Natalie answers the door and she says, hi, Jeff. Hello, Grandmother Rogers. We've heard so much about you or something like that. First words are, you aren't Tootie, are you? And she says, no, I'm not Tootie. I'm Natalie. And she actually says, thank you, sweet Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, sweet Jesus, that Jeff is not marrying a white girl. Little tiny uh, cut from syndication when she's like, what kind of a name is Tootie? They just move on. In the, in, in the non-syndicated version, she does say, my real name is Dorothy. Thank God they got that right. Nowadays, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had said her name was something different. But yeah. anyway. So she asks her, how was the trip? It was awful. How was the flight? It was awful. Was there a movie on the plane? It was awful. How was the food? She's like, it's a short flight. They don't serve food. Jeff, I thought you said she was a college girl. Yeah. Oh, 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 bitch, you want to throw down? Really? So the next thing out of her mouth is, where is the pendant I send you? And she says, I give you a gift and you don't have the decency to wear it. And Jeff, who doesn't know what's going on, is like, yeah, where's the pendant, Tootie? You've been wearing it so much because you love it so much. And then Tootie takes Jeff three steps away from Grandma. So just like by the front door. And in perfect sitcom trope, miraculously, Grandma cannot hear, even though they are three steps away. And she says, it's gone. It's damaged. It's destroyed. No, no, no. It is no more. It has ceased to be. Uh, so now Jeff is in on it like, Fuck, what are we going to do? What are you laughing at? Thank you, Beverly Ann. It what? has ceased to exist. It is no longer of this world. It is dead to everyone. It is broken. It is not here. We you know, don't have it. We get it. I was actually doing Monty Python, the parrot sketch. Oh. It has oh. ceased to be. It has expired and gone to meet his maker. It is a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. That is a deep cut. Yep, that's a deep cut. Because if you watch the facts of life in the 80s, you definitely were watching Monty Python in the 70s. <laughs> and uh, so thankfully, there's not a lot of sitcom lying around this. Very no, quickly. I appreciated the honesty. Yeah, very quickly, Judy says, it's gone. It's thing. And we do have this thing where she throw where grandmother throws herself back on the couch and says, I'm either fainting or dying. And you'd better hope I'm dying. Yeah. Well, I am. I am after our interaction. So thanks. That's what I would have said if I were Tootie. You better hope I'm dying. Well, I am after this interaction we've had. <laughs> yes. So then she adds, well, I'm glad this happened because my grandson would have made the mistake of thinking you're the right girl for him. And they both do push back. And then the grandmother pulls rank and says, come along, Jefferson. And he's like, yes, grandmother. And he doesn't push too hard. Thankfully, he doesn't just leave. Tootie's like, what in the actual shit? And he yeah. says, oh, it's, it's, she's my grandmother. He says, I will call you. Meaning this isn't over yet. It's okay. I'm just, you know, yeah. we, we lost this battle. The war is still going on. And I think this is the first time we've ever been told that his name is Jefferson. Yeah. That Jeff is short for that. 
So, okay, show Bible. I'll I'll let you add a new entry this late in the series. So then uh, we have a scene in Natalie and Tootie's bedroom. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Inner bedroom. It's a very short scene. Tootie's still upset. Pippa comes in and apologizes again. And uh, doesn't really do much for the plot or the story, does it? No, it's just them deciding that (laughs) Tootie's relationship, the longest relationship of any of them, is over. Yeah. sitcom trope because this huge relationship we built is ruined in one day by one thing and okay so they yeah. talk about that and she said natalie says how do you feel about do you have anything against kissing feet and i thought whose feet are we talking <laughs> that's the only interesting part of the scene for me oh matthew so then we get to the final scene we're in the living room it's the next day we learn and then Natalie is turning in the review and after she has her little tiff with Joe and Blair over what she refers to them in the review, that's when she is leaving. She opens the door and Jeff and grandmother are there and she's like, hi, Jeff, I can't stay. I have to deal with the African queen. And then literally turns back to the grandmother and says, oh, it's a restaurant. Like, I wasn't talking about you. (laughs) Really? <laughs> ah, racism is always funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyhow. So the grandmother comes in and says, I have something more to say to you after yesterday. And Tootie says, no, no, I'm not going to hear it. And this is my thing. And Jeff tries to interrupt saying, Tootie, no, I need to say this, Jeff, and not let anyone else talk. So then after I say my thing, it can be contradicted and I can be surprised. What? Yeah. So Tootie pushes back hard. And then in response to this, grandmother says, well, wow, I had come to apologize. But after all of that, that you just gave me the vitriol. Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Here, here's what she says. But now that you've dumped your little dose of vitriol on me, I think I need to adjust what I was going to say. And Jeff tries to stop grandmother before she says something she's going to regret. Yeah. He says, can't we discuss this? Be quiet, Jefferson. As far as I'm concerned, if you marry this woman, you can consider yourself the luckiest man on earth. Uh, hmm? But, huh? And then we get Tootie going, Jeff, don't listen to her. And I beg your pardon? What? And now the grandmother is like, you're very strong-willed. And I admire that. And I know you'll make a fine wife for Jefferson. So they make up and pretty much that's the end of the episode. And this is where I take issue. Oh, Oh, I have some notes and some rewrites as well. Let me hear what you have to say. My rewrite is that I would have, they wanted to make it a heartwarming, I guess, ending. I needed a comedy button and I needed it to be grandma saying, I owe you a debt of gratitude. That was the ugliest thing I have ever seen in my life, and I couldn't wait to hand it off to somebody. But now, ding dong, the witch is dead. Like, yes. I, and just a button of comedy at the end. 
of her acknowledging that it was hideous and she couldn't wait for this one to get a girlfriend that was serious enough that I could unload it on. You know what I mean? I just needed her to become a little more likable at the end. Because clearly this isn't the only thing she's uptight about in her life if Jefferson is so afraid of her and yeah. everything. So, I mean, this one thing, and, and it's like, okay, do but... Ooh, do I really want to, I mean, make her at least a little bit funny at the end. And why not have made her nice at the beginning? Why not have her be nice and pleasant and then say, oh, where's the pendant? Or did you, you you know, so you were telling me on the phone how much you love the pendant type of thing. And then that's when it turns. But yeah, you're right. There could have been something like that. And the other thing is, okay, if you're, if you're, if they're not willing to make those changes, couldn't Tootie have said something a little bit better? I I fucking hate the trope in, in life and in TV. The whole thing of, oh, well, that person's a real fucking dick bag. But if you kind of give them what they give you, like, like if you kind of match them and spar with them and show them that you're not going to take the shit and like, you know, show them you're strong, then they'll respect you and they'll be nice to you. No, they're still a bag of dicks. Yeah, that person can fuck off and die. Just yeah. because you're a dick bag and now the onus is on me? No, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Be a nice person. How about that? Yeah. And again, vitriol, I'm not sure this is vitriolic, where she says, uh, I'm very sorry that your pendant was messed up. But first of all, it was an accident. Second, I already apologized. And third, you've got no business telling Jeff whom he should and should not marry. Was that your intent to win friends and influence people with this strong-willed grandma? Yeah. It it really, I think, needed to be, we've said this before, there are instances where people need to be more apologetic and more contrite. And have her say, I am so sorry. I promise you it was an accident. And I promise you, I'm going to spend every day of the rest of my life proving to you that I am sorry and trying to make it up to you. Showing her commitment to this. And I say that because I do plan to be with your grandson for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then it's, you know, as opposed to being, well, she's got spunk and now I like her. It can be 2D genuinely convincing her, okay, she really is in on this. And I do believe she's truly sorry. This speech here is just like... (laughs) It was like Joe with fucking Richard Mall with like, hey, I said I was sorry I trashed your house. I don't know what the fuck else you want me to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you said I'm sorry once mm-hmm. half heartedly. Mm-hmm. If, if that didn't fix it, I don't know what will. Yeah. Lady I met in a jail cell. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And as a result, I'm going to say it. Be a Richard's. I did not love her performance as grandma in this because the writing was so two-dimensional. And looking at her career, looking at her accomplishments as an artist, as a poet, as a playwright, as a performer, it's like, wow, did she deserve better? A girl's got to eat, David. (laughs) True. (laughs) A girl's got to eat. David, if I may, as far as a backdoor pilot... Would I watch a sitcom where Tootie and Jefferson live with their with their uptight old school grandmother? Would I? Huh. 
isn't this kind of been done before where it's uh, you know a young couple with yes <laughs> oh my god usually it's a, a, a uptight i mean the lucy show forgot or life with lucy um okay is one um but yeah, how um, many sitcoms have the Jeffersons had the Mother, Mother Jefferson, Jefferson? That's right. But they didn't live with her. But um, no. Oh God, Golden Girls for God's sake, living with the old world Sophia. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, that could have been a that could have been a possible. But there there have been worse backdoor pilots from the Facts of Life. This is not the worst of them, truly, Phyllis. She Phil- did it, didn't she? Phyllis, that's right. Mother Dexter, that's right. Yeah. I'm sure there's a million others that we're not thinking about. but Delta, even the Delta Burke show, at one point when they were retooling it, it was like, and her mother moves in with her and lives with her now. Mike and Molly, don't they live with that cantankerous old woman? Mm-hmm. Did the parents live with uh, Raymond on Everybody Loves Raymond? No. I don't know. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Uh, so I would, I might peek in on that sitcom. I'd, I'd watch the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find the perfect, perfect name for it though. Um, we'll call it Puberty Blues. Because it would be, if it went on, it would be created by Kathy Letty. It would have been a series created by she. Well, I wasn't as mad at this episode as I thought I was going to be, David. I'll be honest. Oh, I was. I hated it. Oh. It was awful. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of Pippa. All the 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 stupidity of the party and how the kids were acting at the party, and then the character of the grandmother, the the insipid restaurant review of Natalie, and no, there was there is nothing here. And yet I'm with you. If this had become a backdoor pilot, <laughs> I think the series might have been a possibility with with better writing. It's all about the writing. There you go. Yeah. Wow. What's next week? Well, next week, Matthew, will be season nine, episode 21, called On the Edge. Oh, yes. And this is the last kind of narrative episode that involves the girls in the state as we know them. This is the last one, because after this is Big Apple Blues, and then beginning of the end, beginning of the beginning. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Mm, it's a very dramatical episode, too. It is. I've already watched it and I was yeah. uh You have notes. I have oh I have notes. Okay. No, actually I haven't taken I haven't taken notes. I did watch it already. I haven't taken notes yet. That that will happen later. But you'll have notes, so we'll oh, have something to talk about. Yes. Yes, we will. So, listeners, if you want to watch the episode ahead of time, you may do so for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And remember, the facts of life are all about Bia with an H. Bia. Bia. Bitch. <laughs> Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. 
please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.